It's great to have you. Good to uh, have you as a part of our service. If you have been able to join us either online or you've been here in the church, you already know I'm in the book of James. Uh, if not, if this is your first time, we're in the book of James, and it's great to be able to do this with you. The book of James is a very short book. Uh, it's five chapters long. It would take you probably about 20 minutes to be able to read through the entire book of James. Remember, it's only five chapters, and none of them are really long. It's not like Psalm 119, where you've got 169 verses. Uh, it's actually a relatively short book. I remember when I was in college, I had a professor who told me that if I would read from the book of James, all five chapters, every day for 30 days, he said it will completely transform your life. I look back and actually I believe that he was correct because there are so many great things that do apply to who we are and it does change our mindset. So I'll go ahead and start there today. If you want to know what it's like to live as a child of God, if you want to know what God expects of you, uh, let me challenge you to read through the book of James for the next 30 days, five chapters every single morning or night, whenever you do your devotions, 20 minutes worth of reading, and I will guarantee you that if you allow the Word to speak to you, it will change who you are. The Word of God still has the power to do that. And the focus of this particular sermon series is all about our faith, practically putting our faith into action. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to James, we'll be in chapter 3 today. We were in chapter 1 and then 2, and then today we're in chapter 3. While you turn, let me give you just a little bit of background information that I haven't talked about in this series yet. First of all, there's something you should know about the author of the book of James. Obviously, his name is James. But there were multiple people named James. James was actually a fairly common name during the New Testament era. This James is significant because he is the second-born son of Mary, also known as the brother of Jesus. And anytime we see him referenced in the Gospels, it is with a sense of disbelief. It would appear that he didn't really buy the whole Jesus is the Messiah thing. In fact, although Mary seemed to have confidence in who her son was, probably because of all the angelic messages that came at the very beginning of this process for her, it would seem that everyone else kind of saw Jesus as being just a little bit touched. Yet all of that would change after the resurrection. I guess seeing your brother killed and then raised again three days later can change a person's opinion. Anyways, James is writing to Jewish believers. His focus is not on those who are lost or those who are outside of the church. Instead, he is focusing on the Jews. And this is significant as we read his word today. If you are a part of the body of Christ, then these words are intended for you. And I'll also add that it's a, a little bit encouraging to me. I mean, these people are already a part of the body of Christ, yet they are still considered to be works in progress. They don't have it all figured out already. What I would suggest is probably nobody in here does either. We all have struggles. And there are times that our faith seems weak 
And there are times that the actions that we take and the attitudes that we display, afterwards we think, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I acted like that. I can't believe I said the things that I said. What I would suggest is you can probably relate very well to the people to which James was writing. But as we grow in our faith, we will become more and more mature, finding victory over the things that James is talking about here. And today, he wants to talk a little bit about the tongue. This is an important topic, especially as we tend to talk a lot. It is said that the average person has a vocabulary of over 27,000 words, although the majority of us only use about 3,000 words on a regular basis. We tend to use the same words over and over and over again. It is also said that women speak on average about 20,000 words per day. I know that this won't surprise some of you. It seems like a lot, but you know, we're much better off for those 20,000 words. The same study suggested that men speak only about 7,000 words per day. About a third of what women speak. I guess that's because that's all the time we have left. Just kidding. That's why I complimented the women first and said we're better off because of it. Of course, James is not the first one to talk about the tongue. In fact, Jesus actually spoke of it as well. He said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The truth is that that's a scary thought. There have been many times that I've spoken things and immediately wished that I could retract what I had said. And often those idle words have caused pain and hardship to other people. You ever, you ever done that where, where you spoke something and the moment it came out, you wanted it back in your mouth? It's like that tube of toothpaste. You put too much on your toothbrush, you can't get the toothpaste back in there. It doesn't work. You can try, but the fact is you'll never get it all back in. And the same thing, when you speak, sometimes the words that come out of your mouth, you want so much to be able to suck them back in as if they never came out in the first place. But the problem is once it's out there, it's out there. Maybe it was out of carelessness. Maybe it was out of anger. Maybe even out of your own self-pride. But those words certainly didn't come as a result of the lordship of Christ in your life. In other words, I spoke things that God never would have said. Jesus also said in Matthew 15, 11, It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. And don't get me wrong, Jesus isn't saying to go ahead and eat whatever you want or drink whatever you want. What he is saying is there's, much, there's a much better judge of who you are. It's not what you ate. In verse 18 of that same passage, he says, but the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. In other words, your words reveal what's really happening in your heart. Well, Jesus uses three verses to point out all that we really need to be aware of, all that we need to know about the tongue. 
James is a little more long-winded. I guess Jesus was better at it than he was. It takes James an entire chapter. I want to be able to look at some of what James had to say. Look beginning in verse 1 of James chapter 3. It says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Now, there are many points that are worth noting here in just these few short verses. But let me start with this. The first thing that I think about here is the preacher. Not many of you should become teachers. And the reason given for this statement is there will be greater accountability for those who are willing to serve in that role. And there is some truth in this application, obviously some great truth. I will confess that I am alarmed when I hear other preachers who will take the scriptures out of context, out of their proper context, to accomplish their own purposes. I am concerned when a pastor only picks and chooses what portions of the scripture to talk about, skipping over the items that do not fit into our agenda or the ones that make us uncomfortable. Yet there will come a day that such preachers will be held to a greater standard of accountability. My goal today is not to talk about other preachers here, but to recognize that it is incredibly important as we are called to serve and to speak the words of God, that we do so in a way that is very responsible. I know that my goal each week is to preach with confidence, knowing that what I am saying ought to be biblically sound and true to God's original intention. And I work hard at that because the last thing I want to do is to lead someone else astray. So this is very, very important. Now, I also know that according to verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. That helps knowing that none of us is perfect, but I don't want to stumble because of my lack of preparation. You talk about stumbling, you want to talk about not doing things exactly the way we're supposed to. Okay, so hopefully nobody noticed this last Sunday. I was in between services last Sunday and I was standing out there talking to somebody else and the individual said, Pastor, your fly's open. I had stood up and preached in front of you last Sunday, and apparently I did not check myself before I came up. I'm hoping nobody noticed it. We're all going to, I'm glad you didn't. Thank you for letting me know that. We're all going to make mistakes and we're all going to stumble, but don't let it be because of the fact that you didn't do the things that you were supposed to do. And I'm not talking about leaving your fly down. I'm talking about Every individual who begins to speak as if they are speaking from the Lord ought to do so as one who is prepared to do so. But this reaches beyond the pastor. In a healthy way, we are all called to teach. We believe in something that's called the priesthood of all believers. Your setting may be smaller than someone else's, but it is still important. Perhaps you teach your children. Or maybe you're leading a Sunday school class or a group of kids at Awana. Whatever group you teach, one, two, three, a hundred people, what you say matters. And I'll add one more thought on this. We live in a culture where everyone wants to impart their knowledge. 
upon someone else. I've used social media a couple times. It seems as if everyone is the expert authority on every situation. It's interesting that James says that not everyone should want to be a teacher. Just know that if you put yourself out there as the authority, you need to be prepared to be held to a greater accountability. Let's continue more in depth looking at this issue of taming the tongue. This is about more than just what teachers do. It's about what you do with all of your words. James knows it's not easy. Listen to what he says in verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. He gives the example of a large horse that is tamed, being led around by a small bit in his mouth. Perhaps the greatest horse of all time would be a horse named Secretariat. And you might wonder what made this horse so great. Well, in 1973, Secretariat did what seemed impossible. To begin with, he went on to win the Triple Crown, an unbelievable feat in horse racing. But his run in the Belmont Stakes was perhaps the greatest race ever, winning it by 31 lengths, a record that still stands 47 years after that race. Well, Secretariat weighed about 1,200 pounds as he raced that day. His jockey weighed soaking wet, 128 pounds, yet he was able to guide Secretariat to the left and to the right simply by tugging on the reins with a bit in his mouth. That bit was small, but it was powerful. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of your body, but it is incredibly powerful. The things that you say have the power to either build up or to tear down. And this passage does a great job of addressing its potential power. It says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. If you'll remember, it was just a few years ago that we had a significant forest fire basically in our backyard. In November of 2016, two boys were playing with matches while out for a hike. It is said that they were simply lighting the match and flicking it off into the woods. The result was a small fire that park officials allowed to continue. But five days later, 90-mile-per-hour winds blew through the area, causing the fire to spread rapidly. 
The fire would eventually encompass more than 17,000 acres, killing 14 people, hurting nearly 200 more, and burning more than 2,400 buildings. This past winter, we were in Tennessee, and in some places, you can still smell the burnt wood as you see the charred remains of many of the trees. It didn't take much, but it sure did a lot of damage. Well, the tongue is a fire that can do some very serious damage. I want to consider for a moment some of the ways that the tongue can do damage. I have four examples of the tongue being destructive. The first one comes from the scriptures, and we see it very clearly in Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, we are told that thou shalt not bear false witness. I want to make clear that bearing false witness is more than just lying, although I think many times we have reduced that verse to simply say that thou shalt not lie. Bearing false witness is any time we misrepresent the truth in any way. That can include exaggerating, that can include uh, flattering individuals dishonestly, that can include cheating on your taxes, it can include beating around the bush, not wanting to tell people the truth that needs to be told. Bearing false witness is something that can be incredibly destructive because here's what happens. When an individual begins to bear false witness, they no longer are considered somebody that is trustworthy, which means that if I can catch you in one lie, something that maybe seems insignificant, something that doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal, if I can catch you in one lie, I don't know that I can trust you when you tell me the truth again down the road. Here's the problem with that is those who are in the body of Christ ought to never, ever have a problem with lying. See, Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if the Spirit of God now dwells in you, then the truth ought to flow out of you. Here's the problem. When you begin to bear false witness, you're not going to be a good representation of the truth that dwells in you. Nobody's going to listen. Nobody's going to be able to believe what you have to say. So I challenge you today to recognize that the words that come out of your mouth must speak the truth. There's no bearing false witness. I have another scriptural example here. This comes from Philippians 2.14, which says, Do everything without arguing or complaining. You see, sometimes the tongue can become a very destructive thing because the things that come out of our mouth, we're either arguing with somebody or we're complaining about somebody or something. We see something that's not done the way we would want it done, so we just kind of, we want to fix it. You know, actually, I think some people think that complaining is a spiritual gift. You know, God helps me to recognize where other people need to be fixed, and it's a gift because I get to help them in the process. I just want to clarify, that is not a spiritual gift. See, so often what we do is we get caught up in the negative. We get caught up in all the things that other people are not right in. And we want so much to be able to fix them. Or other people say things and we think, well, no, I need to fix their mind. I need to teach them the right way to think. So we argue with them. Problem is, again, it destroys the witness that we have. 
If you are filled with the joy of Christ, shouldn't be the, that be the thing that flows out of you? Not a spirit of arguing and complaining? It's so easy for us to fall into that trap because we live in a negative world. Turn on the news. Do they highlight the good stuff where people are being nice to each other, where people are saying good things? No. Conflict actually drives up viewership. It doesn't in the life of a believer, though. See, people don't enjoy being around someone who's always complaining. People don't enjoy being around someone who's going to argue with them every time they speak. People want to be around people who are filled with the joy of Christ. I have another one here, and I think we're all familiar with this. I think it fits with what Jesus said earlier in Matthew. Idle talk. We will be held accountable according to Matthew. We will be held accountable for every idle word that is spoken. Idle talk can take many different forms. I would include within this coarse joking. When an individual says things that are inappropriate. I remember as a kid, there were different ways that I would talk depending on who I was with. At school, I could talk one way. Around my friends, I could talk one way. But man, I tell you, I never would have talked that way in front of my mama. She'd have slapped me in the back of the neck or she'd have grabbed my ear and yanked it off. I knew better than to talk like that. I wouldn't have done it in front of my pastor. I wouldn't have done it when I was at the church. It was as if there were certain places where in my mind it was okay to talk that way. But it wasn't. It's talking about bearing false witness. I'm going to tell you, for many years, my life was bearing false witness. When in one setting I am this person, and in another setting I am this person, which one is the real me? There are many of you today, and I'm not pointing fingers because I don't know who all does this, but I get this from individuals. I wouldn't talk that way in front of the pastor. Well, if you wouldn't talk that way in front of the pastor, you shouldn't talk, about that, talk that way in front of your family or in front of your coworkers. As a youth pastor, I spent a lot of time doing uh, substitute teaching when I was in North Carolina. I, it was just an extra way to make some money, and it was a, a lot of fun. I'd go in there. I was I was young. When I started, I was 21 as a youth pastor. So I was barely older than some of the kids that I'm teaching when I'm doing substitute teaching. And I would go in and many of these kids, they would talk in ways that I can't blame them because that's probably what I did when I was in high school as well. But I'd be sitting there and the kids would come and they would want to sit at my desk and talk. And Inevitably, the question would come up, so do you want to be a teacher or something? Uh, no, actually, I, I already have a job. I've already finished college, and I, I pastor a church here in town. And I used to love this response because I could very easily laugh and tell them that they are not telling the truth. They say, oh, I don't normally talk like that. <laughs> yes, you do. When I play basketball with guys, uh, I used to play at the YMCA in Delaware every morning at 5.15 in the morning, and we would get out there, and I would intentionally not tell the guys that I was a pastor, because I just wanted them to be real individuals, and I uh, had, uh, I remember I'd probably been playing for about six weeks with the guys, and uh, one of them was asking me in between games one day, he said, so what do you do for a living? I said, well, I pastor a church here in town, It's actually, uh, and I told him where the church was, and he said, no effing way. And of course, I said, 
no, I, I, I really do. He said, I, I don't normally talk like that. I said, yes, you do. I've been playing ball with you for six weeks. The thing is, the words that come out of your mouth matter. And you can't turn it on and turn it off just because of the fact that now you're in front of somebody else. It matters because whether I'm standing there or your mom is standing there, your grandmother's standing there, God is very much aware of the words that are coming out of your mouth. It's time for us to stop justifying why it's okay to do. I've heard individuals say, well, you can't talk like that in church. The church is a building. You shouldn't be talking about that outside either. It doesn't matter where you are. We need to talk the same way because the words that come out of our mouth matter. I do have one extra example where the words that come out of our mouth really does matter. And it's in the area of verbal abuse. There are times that we say things to other people and it seems as if our goal is simply to tear people down. That is not what the body of Christ is supposed to do. It happens in homes. It happens sometimes in workplaces. Our goal ought to be to build up all those who are in the body of Christ and to truly be a blessing. I love the way uh, Israel is referred to in the book of Genesis. It's a promise that is given to Abraham. As he's talking about the blessing that God was going to give him, he's promising him that he will have descendants that will be greater than even the stars in the universe, so many. He tells them this, your children, your grandchildren, your family will be a blessing to all of humanity, to the entire world. If you are verbally abusing other people, you cannot be a blessing to the world around you. So we need to be finding ways to lift people up and to encourage instead. In fact, alternatively, the taming of the tongue can also be a great resource. I identified four things that if you do not tame the tongue, these are the things that are going to come out of you, and these are the problems that will exist. These are the things that will take place. Well, what happens when we do tame the tongue? The first thing that I will say is that the scriptures very clearly call us to speak the truth in love. It is incredibly important. We've already talked about do not bear false witness. It is incredibly important that we speak the truth. But as we speak the truth, as we tame the tongue, it is important also that we speak the truth in love. In a way that says, I want you to know what this says, but it's because of my heart that I bring this before you. Have you ever had somebody tell you something and you knew that they were calling you out, but love was not associated with it? It's not much fun. But when you know someone loves you, it is so much easier to receive the correction that is being given. I've told you this before, but we had a lady in our church in Colorado. Um, she was our pianist. She was a gifted musician. She was just an incredibly sweet lady. She was older, uh, I, I would guess. She's probably, she would have been in her 70s back then. I know that she was already retired. Uh, this would have been 15, 20 years, 15 years ago probably. So anyways, uh, she would speak the truth in love. She would have a conversation with you to address whatever your sin might have been, whatever the struggle was. And by the end of the conversation, you're thinking, she is such a sweet lady. That is so wonderful. You can tell that Naomi loves me. 
you'd go home and you'd get to thinking about what she said and you'd start to realize, I think she was correcting me. But it was okay because you knew that what she said, she said because she loved you. We as the body of Christ are not called to be the holiness keepers. And what I mean by that is we're not the ones who are supposed to be fixing every other thing that is not right. But we are supposed to be loving people into the kingdom. Now, part of that is calling people out when sin has taken place, but not because I'm better than them, but because I love them. Because I'm not okay with leaving them where they are because I believe that God wants them to be redeemed. God wants them to become a better reflection of him. We need to be a people that speak the truth but do so in love. Another example of this, using the tongue in the way that it's supposed to, is in our building up and encouraging one another. There are plenty of individuals around us every single day who need to be encouraged Many people come into our lives and they're filled with such brokenness, typically because of the fact that other people have not been very kind. How many of us have had individuals who treated us unkindly? Maybe it was within our family. Maybe in our growing up years, someone told us we were ugly or stupid or someone told us that we were not truly a blessing of God. It's very easy for us to become discouraged very easy for us to believe the lies that others have spoken. But the truth is, we have the opportunity as the body of Christ to build up those who have been broken down already. I was talking to a friend who, he was uh, in the army, he was uh, in the Rangers, and incredible soldier, great guy. And he was talking about going through training, and one of the goals of each of the, uh, the drill sergeants is to tear the individual down so that they can rebuild them, so that they become this different individual. Well, the tearing down has already happened in many people's lives. It is time for us as the body of Christ to build people up, to pick them up, to show them that there is hope in the midst of their brokenness. You cannot do that if you don't use the tongue in that process. Maybe something simple, maybe something big, I don't know. Maybe it's just telling someone, good job, thank you for being willing to do that. Just saying those words that make people feel valued. I have a tendency, I, I like to use the phrase, you're awesome. Sometimes I guess people stop listening because they just hear the same phrase. So I love it. I think it was Deb. No one ever confirmed it was Deb. Someone put a sign on my door that has a bunch of other phrases that are similar to the word awesome. Actually, I can't remember any of them right now, but that's not the point. <laughs> the point is this. It doesn't take much to be encouraging and to build people up and to lift them up. But it does take us simply speaking those words of encouragement. Maybe it's time for us to encourage someone. Who in your life needs to be encouraged? Think just for a moment of the people that are around you every day. Who's broken? Who needs you to simply say, hey, just want you to know I love you. Just wanted to say thanks for all that you do. I'm proud of you. For some people, it may be the first time they've heard any of those words in a very, very long time. Maybe you could be the one to bring them a little bit of joy with your tongue. 
The last thing that I will add, and this one is so important, and in fact, it's going to lead into my last point, but it's our tongue ought to become an opportunity to praise the Lord. The words that come from our mouths ought to reflect how much we appreciate God. The problem for many of us is that we want to speak out of both sides of our mouths. Sometimes we want to praise the Lord, and then at other times we want to criticize everyone and everything. Of course, the problem there is we're praising the Lord, and then we're going to criticize His creation. Seems like we're not really being all that honest. We've become better at identifying the faults of others than identifying the purposes that God is accomplishing in them. And then we are quick to let them know about it. Look at what James says beginning in verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Let me suggest that the problem here is in regard to the Lordship of Christ. We've been talking about it over the past few weeks, but the Lordship of Christ changes your attitude and your actions, but it also ought to change the words that flow out of your mouth. I want to challenge you in a very personal way. For some of you, the need is simply for you to invite God to take control of your tongue. Maybe you've allowed certain things to ease into your vocabulary that do not belong. Never be okay with that. You cannot just assume that it's okay because I don't do it all the time. You can't just blame your coworkers because I hear it all the time from them. The fact is, if you're spending time in God's Word and you genuinely are allowing the Spirit to lead everything in your life, then His words and His thoughts ought to be what flows out of your mouth. Bad language, a complaining spirit, do not fit with one who is filled with the Spirit of God. Carelessness can allow those things to become a part of our own vocabulary. It is time to put a stop to it. And if that's you, I imagine that there is a need for confession and repentance today. You know, the question that was asked here in that last section of James in verse, uh, it's actually in uh, verse 10. It starts in verse 10. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? And then it talks about a fig tree, talks about a grapevine. You know what? If, if I got a grapevine and it's producing figs, after a while I'm going to have to stop calling it a grapevine. The fact is, just because it produces or just because it has the name grapevine, if it produces figs, it's more of a fig tree. Do you get what I'm saying? Well, let's apply that with the words that come from our mouths. And this is where it's going to get a little bit uncomfortable. See, I do believe that there are some who are in the body of Christ who, because of carelessness, we have allowed certain things to come out of our mouths that do not belong. But what if... Some of us have never truly allowed the Spirit of God to dwell in our lives. 
We don't understand why these things keep flowing out of our mouths. Maybe it's because we're not really a fig tree. That's what I mean by that. Maybe you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. I know you, you said a prayer, and I get that. But maybe what you did was simply to ease the guilt. Maybe you surrendered a certain area of your life, but you've never truly surrendered your life fully to him. Maybe you thought, I'll be better. I'll be a good person. Know that this is not about you being good. This is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. When he is a part of your life, he changes your attitude. He changes the words that come from your mouth. Maybe some of us today don't need to simply fix our behavior, but we need to simply surrender everything to Jesus Christ. And in doing so, allow his spirit to begin to change the words that come from our mouths. I believe today that there's probably, there are probably some who need to confess. There are probably some in here who need to surrender. There are probably some that are walking in victory today, and I celebrate that with you. I'll tell you that language was a problem for me for many years, but it is not anymore. My kids have never heard me curse. My wife has never heard me curse. And that says something 26 years later, 25 years, sorry. The point is, I'm not the same person that I was because the Spirit of God now dwells in me. I'm not saying that to brag. In fact, I don't think I could change my vocabulary like that. But my God could. Maybe there are some individuals in here who need that kind of change to take place, and the only way it's going to happen is through fully surrendering your life to him. If you would bow your heads with me. Before I pray with every head bowed and eye closed, maybe there are some here today who just need to confess. You know you're a child of God, but you have become careless, and you have begun to allow things to come out of your mouth that do not belong. They do not reflect the presence of God in your life. And you know when you do it that it's wrong. You feel guilty. You're almost ashamed the moment that it comes out. And you want to suck it back in, but you know that it's out there at that point. And maybe today there are individuals who simply need to confess, God, I have become, become careless, and I need you to forgive me for the things I've been saying. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? and Put it back down. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe there are others in here today. And you would say, you know what, Pastor, I've been trying really hard to be good. I have been trying to say things that I'm supposed to say. I've been trying to do things that I'm supposed to do. But the more I think about it, I don't know if I've ever fully surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And because of that, I'm not sure if I'm a fig tree or a grapevine. But I want to know today that I am fully surrendered to my God. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Father, as we come before you today, I am grateful for your grace. I am grateful to know that although there have been times that we have said things that do not belong, you are a forgiving and a gracious God. We have become careless. Today we ask that you would forgive us for that carelessness. 
We know there are a lot of influences around us. There are people that say things, and it's easy to just get sucked into their vocabulary. But I pray that we would never get sucked into that. I pray that you would cause us to speak as those who are filled with the Spirit of God. I pray that as we spend time in your word, that those would be the things that would flow out of us. I pray that when people hear us speak, that they would know that there is something different about this individual and this individual because the Spirit of God directs even the words that come from their mouths. Some of us have become critical. Some of us have become bitter. Some of us have bore false witness. Lord, I pray that every single one of us would speak as those who are filled with the Spirit of God. Let us encourage, let us lift up, let us represent you well by the words that come from our mouths. Father, I pray that if there be one today that has not fully surrendered their life, that right now in this moment that they would do that. Father, I pray that you would fill them with your spirit and that you would transform everything about them their attitudes, their actions, and even their words. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts. When people see us, let them know who we are in you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. It is a blessing to be with you this morning, and I want you to know that uh, as a pastor, I try to prepare every day, every week when I get up here. I hope that you will feel free, if you ever hear the pastor say something that may not be biblically sound, to please come and address it, because I probably need to be corrected. That's the way I see that. So I know that the Word of God is powerful. I want to I do it perfectly, but I know that I may not always. So uh, you remember the Bereans. They were the people that Paul talked about. He said they were of more noble character, because they went home, tested, and approved that which was spoken to them. I invite you, after we're done, go back and read the book of James. Read chapter 3. What does it say? What do we need to be doing that's different? Allow the Word of God to confirm what we're talking about here. Thank you for being with us, and go in peace.